0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, August 16th. 2023, and finally, the entire locker room here is back together. We are joined, as we often have been, as we have not been in a while. Both, I'm, I have the good fortune, as Nikon might say, to be joined by both uh, Chris Golo, hello, hello, and and recently uh, uh, having participated in a Lucha de Apuestas match with a fresh haircut. <laughs> the the what the the. One of the foremost thought leaders when it comes to limb work, Jesse Collins. Hello.
1: Yes, um, I did. I was in Arena Mexico last week, um, which is why I wasn't on the show, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you can see, I was unsuccessful in my challenge uh, for
0: someone's mask. Did you lose your, as your, I, your hair, too? Um, I lost it, to. Did someone ups- upset with your limb work tweets? Not in Mexico. Of course not. not. In Mexico. There's no limb work
1: in Mexico. It was Hechicero, He was really mad that I that I. What about said uh,
0: what about, about vi- Virus? Is Virus still around? Virus, yeah. I think he's still around. Yeah, unless he died recently, but or he, he suffered a serious. But he's injury. like one of the the technical lucha guys, right?
1: Man, I don't want to talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna expose myself pretty bad, pretty quickly about like wrestling style and lucha libre. I believe you're correct. I know like Héctor is very much like a. I mean, he's a bigger guy for lucha standards, but he's kind of like a a technical guy and you know, all those guys most of those guys possess a, a pretty strong
0: base of technical
1: wrestling um, contrary to popular belief
0: okay um, we have to discuss on the program a few things uh, including a Nick Khan interview that no one is talking about that you'll you'll hear only you, the post wrestling has a summary of it but we, we will discuss here an interview that he did with Lightshed, Shed uh, I believe earlier earlier this week Um, HBO Max will no longer be HBO Max it will only be The Max Um, and we'll look at AEW All Access as it compares to Power Slap in the ratings and then the the big stadium show coming up this August that everyone is talking about Um, AEW, no, WB SummerSlam Um, tickets have, I got tickets to SummerSlam in Detroit, I'm planning on going I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. And yeah, I think we will touch on as well. The pre-sale activity surrounding all, all in, in London tickets are not on sale yet for that. And, uh, we, we may, we may, who knows where this freewheeling conversation may or may not go. So, um, uh, if you do want to participate and send in a super chat, you are, you are encouraged to do so. And we will comment or answer your question. Um, but we'll start by talking about Nikon's appearance. So this, um, this past gosh i think it was thursday we uh john pollock and i talked to brandon ross of lightshed uh the analysis firm lightshed and um <clears throat> he mentioned that he had done an interview with nick Khan. and i was like well, this is news to me so we we did get audio of this and um there is a summary of it on post wrestling by neil flanagan and um it's a pretty interesting interview i would say it's it's more more business focused than than the last few Naturally, last few interviews we listened f- listened to from Nick Con. It's not as if he was talking to Colin Coward, who's a you know sports talk guy. This was he was talking to Brandon Ross, Rich Greenfield, and Walt Piesek, the uh, you know big names from from CNBC world. And they were asking you know questions that would be relevant and, and are are you know the interesting questions to ask about the media business. So there's a lot to be talking there, and there's a lot of um, of course, everyone wants nikon's view on the on the broader media ecosystem but um we could go through some i've have, i've have some highlights here um any any uh any major takeaways before we before we start on that
1: yeah i mean so it's it's about an hour long show mm-hmm. so they get to like kind of a lot of topics and I think Nick is uh, you know, elaborates on a lot of topics in a way that we haven't seen with like some of the interviews over the last few weeks. You mentioned like Colin Coward, but even when he's appeared on like CNBC, um, and, and some of these other TV news shows where it's kind of like Nick Nikon's going to be here for five minutes and we're going to ask him a bunch of questions in a row. And that's going right. to be it. This is much more of a, it's a podcast. So it's got a lot more, um, conversation back and forth. Um, and he says a lot, it's much more interesting than I think, the typical Nikon. we kind of at this point we've seen a lot of like you know 10 10 minute Nikon interviews in a lot of different media formats and I kind of know exactly what he's going to say and I kind of know what all the questions he's going to be asked are Um, and this one they I wouldn't say that like you know his attitude or his demeanor is any different but they do get to a lot of different topics that you probably wouldn't see normally discussed um, at at this level of depth on some of the shorter burst interviews he's done recently
0: yeah and I guess it's Light Shed, as I understand it, is a at least this this podcast is for people who are their clients or who have corporate access to to their to their podcasts. So I think you're probably going into this interview for Nickon in not expecting a huge audience. Certainly, like you would for CNBC or even when he's talking to Colin Cowherd or Peter Kafka or whatever the the big public podcasts are. Um, but anyway, he's uh, talking about here. Uh, just going to go through in, in order, but if they talk about sponsorships. Obviously this, this is done just after the, the, um, the merger, the merger has already happened. Uh, and he sa- he's talking about sponsorships. He says, look at, look at what um, Endeavor has done with the UFC. I believe the UFC pre-acquisition, their sales and sponsorship was around 35 million. I think that's an annual number. Anyway, it's my understanding that that's now borderline 200 million a year. Okay. Which is far in advance of us. If you think about it, UFC, an amazing sport, everything's wonderful, is a far grittier sport than WWE. So the fact that their sponsorship dollars far exceed us, that comes down, in our opinion, to Endeavor, obviously working in conjunction with the UFC, to maximize those dollars. It's what we want for our company. That's end quote. He's talking about how... UFC, uh, so, some code words to be interesting to decode. UFC, a far grittier sport. What does he mean by that? And he's saying that, look, in de- de- they're a more violent sport. So if anything, that should be less advertiser friendly. But they're able to do better than us when it comes to media sponsorships, these, these ads and sponsorships and bumpers that you see on the PLEs and on the TV show. They're able to do better than us in generating those dollars, despite their more violent sport. Despite us, you know, there is, is talk in this interview too about Walt brings up because he ha- he's not a big wrestling fan, but he had watched WrestleMania, and he brought up the fact that in the Edge and Finn Balor match, when, when Finn Balor got busted open, they took the camera away from him and, and Walt wanted to see more blood and guts. But anyway, UFC's able to do better in ad revenue, despite being more violent. What is that a credit to? Oh, the Endeavor flywheel. It's because Endeavor is so good at making these deals, apparently. And that's that's one of the big revenue accretion opportunities coming up I guess well it's also a real sport does that make it more attractive to
1: advertisers I think it definitely does and I definitely think early in this interview Nick Khan puts over you know Vince McMahon he, he took wrestling out of the smoke-filled he arenas he uses that exact terminology and you know he took I went Nick Khan talks about how he went to a show at like the LA City Coliseum yes. or whatever and when he was a kid and an old woman threw a battery at somebody. Let's just, that's the way it was was before Vince. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Vince turned, you know, made it sports entertainment and Hulkamania and all this stuff like that. But in the process, Vince also created a product that was probably very unappetizing to advertisers, um, for a lot of different reasons. Main probably a lot of it is due to the storyline content. Um, that permeated throughout the company for – it's not just the Attitude Era. You can go well into the 2000s and find many distasteful storylines that existed, and that probably hurts their ability to negotiate with advertisers. Um,
0: I think a a lot of what I would call like sophomore humor and gross-out humor that that Vince apparently loves, judging by the
1: toilet, Right, toilet humor and – Things like that. People getting covered in stuff, which is Vince's like favorite uh, joke of all time. It wasn't
0: that long uh, ago that I think Fox had to black out the screen when, um, was it Seamus threw like, a, a cup of urine at Jeff Hardy?
1: Yeah, that would have been during the pandemic, I think. Yes, yeah, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so is it part because Endeavor has a more robust um, advertising department ability to generate that revenue stream? Maybe. But it also has to do with WWE's content and the historical val, the historical aspects of WWE's content. You can make the argument that they're more family friendly, and therefore, that means it's better for advertisers. But that's not a one-to-one corollary. There's plenty of things that are not family friendly that do quite well with advertisers. It's not like it's a scale where the more family friendly you are, the more advertising dollars you can get.
2: Uh, There's always going to be a wrestling stigma, said, like you know, even in the '80s, rock and wrestling, like boxing got more, I'm assuming boxing got more advertising revenue than they did and in the nineties in the attitude era as well. So I don't even think it's content. I just think it's the wrestling stigma does not go away from advertising. Right. Res-
1: wrestling is this fake carny thing. And it's something that's probably protected Vince from a lot of criticism over the years. But you're right that even like, as it's not just like an attitude era issue where like, Oh, there was this one period where wrestling was sleazy. It's like, it's that the reputation of the business is still stigmatized. Even if, Nick Khan can pretty credibly argue that the actual content on screen has been cleaned up a lot in you know, the last
0: decade or so. Is, the, is there I agree that there's a, there's a stigma to wrestling and is that about the nature of the content? To what extent the answer is yes to both things I'm about to raise here, but the, to what extent is that the nature of the content perhaps I mean, it's not just Vince's content. We could see it in, in WCW, certainly in the later, later days of WCW and in other products, at least throughout the U.S, I would say. the, 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 the stupid comedy, the toilet humor, the, the bad content of U.S. wrestling, how much of it is that, and how much of it is just the fact? that this is a a thing that's pretending to be a sport and these matches are actually
2: predetermined. I mean, I think that's a big portion of it because like I brought up like, okay, so we're young. We're all fairly young. So we don't remember a lot of that late 80s, early 90s. But there wasn't a lot of that toilet humor and stuff like that. There was a lot of characters, but it wasn't what we got in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And I still think that was, oh, you know, it's fake. You know, it's fake stigma, you know. I
1: think the number one thing that someone who doesn't, really watch wrestling at all, the number one thing that they know about pro wrestling is that it's fake. It's definitely the first thing if I ever mention, like, oh, I like pro wrestling to somebody who's not a wrestling fan, the first thing they'll mention usually is, oh, like, you know it's fake, right? Like, that stigma exists in pro wrestling in a way that doesn't exist for things like, I've pointed this out before, but a stigma that doesn't exist for things like reality television, which often is scripted and has people recreating things that never happened for, for television drama. But people watch that with the assumption that a lot of the stuff is real. Oh yeah, you know it's a little scripted, but it's really real. And that 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 attitude only exists in pro wrestling. Everything else that might have a hint of 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 show business and entertainment uh, to it is not as impactful as pro wrestling. It's the number one stigma about pro wrestling is that it is to the uninhibited viewer, pro wrestling is these people who are trying to lie to the viewer, and the viewers who are watching it are dumb. So they believe that it's real, which obviously hurts and impacts advertisers if that's a belief that exists in society.
0: I think a lot of this is due to a perception that may or may not be supported by data. I suspect it is somewhat supported by data that the the audience that you've got on television watching wrestling tends to not have – income levels that are as high as other programs, I would think.
1: But why do they, in, in part of the, why is, why is that and why do they believe that? Is that because the belief that pro wrestling is catered towards dumber people who naturally are not going to maybe have college degrees that are maybe not going to make as much money as a more intelligent audience? And how So how much of that is, is that a stigma attached to who pro wrestling is catering towards?
0: And is, is there any way to to address that? stigma some of it is just the reputation from the content the the choices that creative has made with content in pro wrestling over the years and the decades and some of it i i think we're agreeing is is just the fact that it is a predetermined pseudo sport i don't you're not going to change pro wrestling to be a shoot obviously so is there anything that could be address could be done to address the the first issue that is the the immature sophomoric nonsense that happens in US wrestling without without hurting the content in some other way that damages the audience, if you follow me. Oh,
1: absolutely. You could obviously
0: Some people probably tell you no. <laughs> I think
1: part, part of it is impossible to to destigmatize it, right? Some people are just setting their ways in Europe pushing the storm. So do the do we need point.
0: to do what I think we certainly need to do is is run Shohai Baba's version of pro wrestling every every night in prime time, right? Um
1: one thing that I think about, guys, is I do wonder if like the stigma of pro wrestling or like the idea that pro wrestling is catering towards all these very dumb people that don't have any money uh, that think it's real. I do kind of think that that philosophy is, is is an outdated thought that maybe older executives might have, but younger executives, maybe Gen Xers or people younger than that, are more tolerant of the idea that pro-wrestling is mainstream entertainment. Um, that seems to be more in line with the kind of pop culture shift we've seen over the last 20 years, where things that maybe were stigmatized like comic books or cartoons have that things that were, you know, dismissed as childish, immature properties have become major mainstream sources of our pop culture entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I do think pro wrestling in some ways has benefited from that with, I think, a younger generation of of media, a younger generation of working professionals who are not afraid to say that, oh, I really like pro wrestling. And they're not, you know, the stereotypical hillbilly wrestling fan that maybe some people have in their imaginations.
0: So this is something may, that may dissipate over time. The, the trouble is that we don't have great data to observe and see what the changes are over time. I suspect that the CPMs, the ad rates for wrestling have maybe slightly gone up over time, but I just, I just don't know where to to find a, a, a good data set for that, to, to study that over time.
2: Are you guys uh, uh, familiar with the CBS Sunday uh, morning when they do like the people that we lost that year uh, all the celebrity deaths or whatever. Every year I watch the Oscars. Well, well, no, they they do. It. So CBS Sunday Morning does it. Usually the first episode of January, and it's everybody, every single form of entertainment, theater, Broadway, every single sport you could ever think of, every single movie, TV show. This is appointment viewing for you. every Wrestling, year. yes. Wrestling is the only thing they never ever. They never talk about a wrestler passing away. It's uh,
0: even even like the biggest names who passed away. Yeah,
2: I've never like all who who are the some ultimate warrior was not on there. Warrior, he he was not. Dusty um, Rhodes was not like Dusty Rhodes. Okay, yeah, like Randy Savage. Nope, (laughs) (laughs) like nope. They they skip over him too. I remember like I watch (laughs) it every year and yeah, it's it shows me what the perception is of pro wrestling and and they're they're going into
0: names that are obscure enough that like yeah, Broadway people that I've
2: never heard of like really obscure Broadway people obscure. Like this person was on three's company as the sixth lead. Like, like that type of thing. Yeah. People that are not nearly as famous yes. as like dusty road or Roddy Piper. And that watching that every year shows me, wow. Pro wrestling is just in a different world than these people think. At least in the, in the
0: yeah. viewpoint of whoever's producing those segments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and we've seen a lot of changes in media. I think it's like Jesse is kind of what you're getting at and that, you know, where we see, I mean, even things like ESPN covering wrestling to an extent, Sports Illustrated covering wrestling to to an extent. Right. This is not something and, that would have been as normal in even say the mid two thousands or something like that. I think
1: right, and and ESPN you know showed wrestling at one point in a different time period, in, right, the ESPN's prominence. But you're right. I, I I think that there's way more, like I said, there's way more mainstream media coverage of pro wrestling. Seems like pretty much every major.
0: And, 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 and I would say it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of what you're getting at. It's, it's, a little like, bit of it's, it. it's now people who are in editorial and decision-making positions who maybe are my age and grew up in in the, the attitude era, grew up in the 90s when that was especially something that was directed at kids.
1: I think that people that are – I think like Gen Xers that grew up in the 80s that – you know people say about Gen X that what they're the generation that never really grew up. Um, and part of that is because of – of- well, every generation ever grew up, um, but, uh, are you a millennial the, Jesse, or are you, I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a, a very young, you're millennial. borderline. I, I was, I believe millennial cutoff is 96 and I was born in 94. Okay. Um, but, uh, I think like, like you take like, so people who were born in the, you know, late seventies, let's say, who are now in their mid forties or so, um, they, uh, they are maybe working their way into more executive positions and things like that just across the board. I think those people are naturally more tolerance of, um, things that would be previously dismissed as childish is the best way I can say it. And we see that across, there's such a, just in, in our culture now, there's such a huge interest in adults consuming things from their childhood and nostalgia and, People buying toys as adults, you know. People buying collecting things that they collected when they were a kid. Obviously, comic books and interest in comic books is like the main driver of Hollywood right now. Um, There's this attitude, I think, in our society that's more wrestling
0: podcasts.
1: Yeah, no, I'm serious. Look at the flood of wrestling podcasts, just as an example. Um, Now, this is obviously a wrestling podcast for the intellectual class only. You should at least have an MBA if you're even thinking about. You should see our CPMs.
0: They're through the roof. Yeah. Um, Median income level is just astounding.
1: Yeah. Um, But I, I just think in general, like the society is, I don't know. I don't know if tolerant is the right word, but there's clearly seen more value appreciated in Things that maybe were dismissed earlier in, in, by previous generations, and I think that makes an impact as far as people viewing something like pro wrestling as a viable mainstream entertainment source that maybe is worth advertising. And you know, maybe you know, I don't, I don't know this, but maybe WWE's like marketing department needs to kind of prioritize that aspect of it—that this is what they're selling—as opposed to maybe what they're what they've been doing in the past, which is talking about how many viewers they have and talking about it's, how many selling you know, what. Like as far as WWE being a place a sponsor might want to, you know, sponsor and put advertising money into. Um But what, what do you think the
0: emphasis should be?
1: I'm saying that I and again I don't know what they're sitting there and if they're negotiating with, you know, one of their bigger sponsors, let's say, Intuit TurboTax, because they sponsored the main event of WrestleMania.
0: Get, or get Two Tokes days crunched. left of your taxes.
1: My taxes are complete. Um the uh um but like, say you're, if you're sitting down there, are are you, are in, if you listen to Nick Khan talk, you know, it's a lot about, Oh, we have X amount of viewers. We do this amount of viewers. Compare us to compare our our ratings each week to what the NBA does or, or what the NHL does or what MLB baseball does or whatever their competitors are. Look at how, you know, we've got, you know, we did a point eight zero in the demo. When was the last time a show on Monday night did that? Like maybe part of selling your brand is also talking about, the position that pro wrestling and WWE has in the um, hearts and minds of its audience and how it is this viable, emotionally invested product that can reap that, not only has a lot large viewership but has viewership that's very emotionally invested in what's going on and that's good for your advertising they're probably doing that they they seem to be good professionals when it comes to that but I do think that's an aspect if we're talking about like growth and we're talking about how could pro wrestling remove a stigma um, and if you're selling that to advertisers you might want to present it as this you know thing that has this hugely invested fan base uh, of people that are willing to put a lot of money into consuming this hobby and that's good for your advertising
0: uh. because you're pointing to how loyal and passionate your, your, your fans are in particular relative to other kinds of content out there. Um, one way to not diffuse or to, 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 uh, to, to not remove the stigma is probably to have your, your executive chairman who has multiple allegations of sexual misconduct come back to the company with a, a creepy mustache. That probably doesn't help. But anyway, um, there's some discussion of how there are going to be the cost synergies here. Um, something we've been thinking a lot about, and I'm sure the employees have been thinking about, is to what degree are there going to be layoffs? Uh, I, I imagine it's going to be to a significant degree here. Um, but Nikon does point out that we want to always be protective of our creative team, our, produ- our production team. Um, so it sounds like this is there's going to be layoffs, but it's probably not going to affect the creative team, relatively small team, I would think, uh, the, or their production team, which is probably a larger team than, than the creative team. Um, so I think this is going to be a lot of headquarters uh, employees, unfortunately, maybe less so people who are actually on the road.
1: Um, well, realistically, are the... the- if we're talking about like redundancies between the two companies, I, I imagine there's not that many redundancies in regards to the creative team. It's not like, you know, Endeavor or UFC have a bunch of wrestling writers also on their, you know, payroll.
0: But they would have production um, people. But I'm but it's it's not like right. You, they would definitely have production people.
1: But would they have production people on the road all
0: right. the, each week? Or it's not like you have, have production WS. people who are who are going to do the WWE job. Because you probably still need them both to do whatever the, the respective jobs are, I would think. Um, right. And it seems like – let me let me ask you this, Brandon, because there's a lot of
1: like uninformed speculation, I'll put it, about when we would actually start seeing cost-cutting moves take place. I know that there are a lot of people that think that because the merger has been announced – and obviously we're coming after WrestleMania where there have traditionally been talent cuts in prior years – Um, when do we expect to see a lot of releases? Because the deal isn't official yet, right? The deal and the deal probably won't be official, official until later this year. Correct. Yeah. So would we, should we expect any really significant changes, whether they're in, you know, releasing people or just changes to the product or changes to WWE's presentation or changes to business deals? Should we really expect anything different until this agreement is official, official,
0: I, because I think it's not like I, I expect there's going to be maybe hundreds of, of employees who were laid off, um, and that's out of what I what, what I think is eight hundred to nine hundred corporate employees that they have, and I'm not including contractors talent. Um, I think you, you can't you can't use those redundancies. You can't use the employees from that that you're going to become part of your merged company until you're actually merged, right? If you think about how things went at WBD after Warner Media and Discovery were merged. It was pretty quickly after the merger was official, I believe. You could go back and find news articles about it, I'm sure. But to my memory, um, there were big layoffs pretty much immediately after that merger was official.
1: But when you say official, do you mean like, because cause, now correct me if I'm wrong, it'll be embarrassing if I'm wrong, but that's okay. Um, the WWE Endeavor merger is not official
0: yet. No, it's – there is an agreement. There's a legal agreement right. between – We expect it to be official. But it is not – but the but the merger has not been completed. So I should – maybe I should not say official. I should say when the merger is completed, which will be mm-hmm. sometime towards the latter part of this year.
1: Right. And then is when we'll probably start seeing some of the changes. We won't see them before that date. Um, I think people that are waiting on Friday afternoon for WWE talent releases because – They're going to start shedding talent because they're going to cut costs or whatever due to the merger um, are probably going to keep on waiting. And if they do release talent, it's probably not going to be
0: related to that. Yeah, there's a Mandela effect that every – I think every, every time that I've tweeted, there's going to be a W earnings call coming up on this date. It's just, it gets attacked with quote tweets saying, oh, that's when they're going to do the talent cuts, which is the only thing that most wrestling fans, for better or worse, really care about. Um, Mm -hmm. Because those are the the names and faces that they know. Um, There was the one day, I don't, it was several quarterly reports ago now, where they did do talent cuts like during or like right after the conference call. Uh, and now, ever more, you know, ever forward. We think that, you know, people think that there's going to be talent cuts on that day, but I don't necessarily expect that. Although I do expect them to be later in, in, a, in whatever week they may or may not happen because that's when they always do them. That's probably like the um, the the best practices corporate thing to do is to cut people late, later in the week rather than uh, on Monday.
2: Do you think, though, that we're probably going to see really not a lot of moves until this merger is con- like.
0: You're not going to see big hiring, certainly.
2: Yeah. Why would you hire? But even big go? cuts, too. Like, they are probably just kind of go with it until like maybe the fall. You start to see some major moves.
0: I, I know there are reports about whether or not there's a hiring freeze. I mean, I have, I have no information about that. Um, but I, it wouldn't surprise me that they're not going to, even when it comes to talent, that they're not going to take, take on a lot of cost right now just because they don't know about the budgets of – of their company yet until this merger is completed. I would think that doesn't mean I'm I'm not, I'm not refusing to believe that they're, they they will not hire talent or they won't hire certain positions that need to be filled that are vacant. Um, especially if they're, I don't know, higher level positions, but I don't think there's going to be huge hiring right now, either of talent or of employees. Um, moving to talent pay, uh, They referenced, and I didn't didn't even know about this tweet, but this this is not Logan Paul, but it is Jake Paul who tweeted on the day that the merger was announced, UFC plus WWE makes too much sense. Great path to increasing fighter pay. Uh, I believe Jake Paul has been somewhat of an antagonist on uh, towards UFC and, uh, you know, getting in in the the fight ring with UFC fighters who uh, feel they're not getting paid enough, right? Um, So on On that subject, <clears throat> Nikon says uh, you know they bring up the tweet." And uh, he says, well, look, in terms of UFC's business, that's their business to manage. Vince, myself, Triple H, the other WWE senior management have have seen what Dana White and the Fatitas did in terms of creating an entire empire. We've then subsequently seen what Dana White and his team and Endeavor did. So, you know, that goes untouched by us. They're not going to mess with UFC. That makes sense. Okay. And then he says, in terms of our performers, we think a lot of them are well compensated. Certainly, all talent wants to be paid more. Management wants to try to manage those costs. Each individual is unique. Each individual deal is unique in and of itself. We're confident with our position in the marketplace in terms of our W superstars. And depending on what the rights fee increases on the media rights are, we expect a lot of that to drop to the bottom line. So, I mean, Nick Nikon is very skilled at saying things that are truisms and doesn't really say much of anything other than sort of say things that, uh, that are somewhat obviously true. Um, but he is saying here, if I can pull any meaning out of this statement... We expect a lot of that to drop to the bottom line. I guess saying, as, as any executive would, um, we're going to en- enhance our profitability a lot if we get a, a good upgrade in media rights. Uh, but it does raise the issue, which I think is a real issue, uh, and, and for a lot of different reasons, that if you make more money, probably your talent, and in fact all your workers, should get paid at least a little bit more. And if we're going to compare, which... We may have this discussion. If we're going to compare wrestling or WWE or UFC for that matter to other sports, major sport, professional sports in the sports ecosystem, you know, those sports, which are where whose players are represented by unions, by the way, or associations, I think, in fact, is a technical term.
1: Mm-hmm. Those they players, all have, they all have collective
0: marketing agreements. Those players are getting something like 50% of the entire company's revenue, the entire business's revenue. Whereas UFC. I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe somebody could Google that, but that's pretty small. Uh, And and in WWE's case, we could do a really easy, aggressive estimate. And let's say, let's go way, way, way insanely too high and say every wrestler on average is paid a million dollars, which is, I think, obviously way too high. And let's say they have 200 wrestlers under contract. That's $200 million. How much revenue did they generate in 2022? $1.3 so that's a uh, 15% of their revenue. So certainly talent are getting compensated less than 15% of revenue, perhaps less than 10% of revenue. Um, so a pretty low percentage, I would say, you know, what's the percentage of revenue that actors make uh, re- relative to the entire gross of whatever they're, you know, Movie or television show is it maybe it's less than 50%. Maybe wrestlers should fall somewhere in the middle. Um, but obviously, so it's it's been the case for for decades that you know wrestlers are not compensated as well as they would be if there was some talent. Uh, yes,
1: I find it representing them. Yes, I find it very funny that Jake Paul so Jake Paul has kind of like this online crusade, the de facto foreman. Right, and he likes to tweak Dana about fighter pay and things like that. And I do like that his idea is that because UFC's merging with WWE, that's going to lead to a great path to increase fighter pay. If anything, they're going to do less because WWE is the company that pays their talent even less of a percentage than UFC does. Um, now, to, to, to get to Nick Khan's response, I guess we don't know WWE's you know, salary structure, really, but can we say that... WWE got a big increase in rights fees during their last round of negotiations. Can we see that impact? Have we seen that impact wrestler
0: salaries? Um, I think what's clearly impact wrestling wrestling salaries, and again, we don't have great data to to verify this.
1: And how much of that impact is also because of AEW, and also because AEW being able to put competitive bids yeah. in for talents? Um, that probably has a much bigger increase in talent pay.
0: That's certainly the, um, the more immediate source of leverage is that you've, if you've got another company that's willing to pay you a lot of money and, and they're right. com- competing versus just the the argument that you're making more money, so I should make more money too. Well, what leverage do you have to force me to do that?
1: Yeah. And, and as we mention every week, the rights fees, the up- expected upcoming rights fees are largely baked into the stock valuation, correct? Correct.
0: I think there's at least a base case of 1.5, perhaps 1.8, baked into the stock price. So if it's more or less than that, the stock price will move accordingly. Right.
1: So if we're talking about WWE's, you know, what what is WWE trying to do? What is Nick Khan trying to do? What is Vince McMahon trying to do? What is Ari Emanuel trying to do? They're trying to deliver for investors, and that is, if they already have that stock price is already baked in, or in some in some way being valued in the stock price already. Um. then record snap price by the way close right at right so we're not 69 the so highest ever, about, ever closed at we're talking about not only are we going to get more money for our rights fees negotiations but also how are we going to make sure that, that money is going to be seen uh, as profitability by the company to increase our our profits and then deliver for our stock investors and that is probably part of, part of their plan is probably not oh let's increase you know wrestler pay by X percent because we're making more money now. It definitely gives WWE the ability to pay more money um, because of that extra revenue rolling in. But is their top priority going to be, Oh, let's make sure the wrestlers get a bump in pay.
2: Probably not. So I don't know a lot of information about UFC salaries, but it's very top heavy, right? Like you have your big name fighters, but then it's a huge drop. Like, isn't it like 8,000 a fight for your typical undercard fighter that fights maybe three times a year. I think, so you're looking at a 24,000 know, year salary. So I think the big thing would be like, is Endeavor going to place any type of their financial model into WWE when it comes to salaries? Like, cause we don't know a lot about data, but I heard the starting salary at NXT was like seventy eighty thousand 80,000 a year. That's significantly more than an undercard UFC fighter.
0: Yeah. I would think that's close to, to right. Yeah. That number for people starting in developmental. Um, and, and another thing that's been raised to me is that well, on one hand, the, the merging of these two entities increases their power over workers, probably. It's probably true. Um, yet on the other hand, are, are, is there more regulatory scrutiny towards this company? Because it's a bigger company. You know, we, we're, we're going to go from like a $6 billion, $7 billion market capital company in WB, uh, something more than that, marginally more than that in UFC, to a, a company that perhaps is going to have an enterprise value of $22 billion or something like that. Did I say, did I say $6 billion? Six million, six billion in market capital for WB. but um, but maybe being a bigger company will put a bigger target on them in terms of certainly the worker worker misclassification, which which I think is easily provable just by going through you know what the IRS considers factors towards determining whether somebody is an employee or a contractor. Um, ultimately, though, I think it's it's not going to be the workers themselves who are going to. Take the risk of starting an association or a union, but maybe some other technicality or some it, imagine if w like lost access to um, and maybe endeavor the the relationship with endeavor might put some interesting tension on this because endeavor represents prob- i think thousands of, of actors who are probably largely represented by SAG, aftra and and maybe other associations. Imagine if WB lost access to certain celebrities. I mean, look, Snoop Dogg is probably represented by a union of some sort. Um, if they lost access to some of these celebrities that they, that they love putting on their programming, maybe that would start to put some pressure. Not that that would be the the obvious. Boom! Now, now they're going to be. Uh, Russ going to be represented by a union, but maybe something like that might start to put pressure on WB or create other stories that we talk about. Let's see. Um, On control of WWE Creative, he was asked, is Vince involved in WWE Creative? Is it still Paul Levesque? Um, Nick alluded to the company-wide email that we believe we published in its entirety um, for subscribers. Uh, Vince sent out a company-wide email Nick mentioned. He said, specifically, Vince articulated that Paul Levesque remains the sole chief creative officer. Sole These are next words he he emphasized, soul. Uh, He went on to say, Paul and Vince have a a family relationship, a relationship that that goes back to the mid-'90s. Paul's in charge of creative. If he wants input from Vince or Vince has ideas that he and Paul, then he and Paul are going to communicate. That's always going to be the case. We're lucky to have Vince. We're lucky to have Paul in control of creative. So it's – look, it's – and I think it took – credit to the Lightship guys. This was being asked from a place of, I mean, they didn't make it like explicitly explicit and like they were grilling him, but, but it was asked from a, from a, a place that I think understood that, Hey, look, Vince has been, uh, has been a detriment to creative or at least we could say that, you know, Paul Levesque had his leadership of creative has coincided with a lot of in- improvements in business, including TV ratings, most importantly, attendance as we demonstrated. Um, what can he say here? Uh, God, it's great to have Vince. So grateful for him. So appreciative.
1: And, We're so lucky to have Vince McMahon. Why wouldn't you want
0: Vince McMahon?
1: Like, the follow-up question I would ask is why, if Vince is such an incredible asset and he's he's responsible for building this entire model, why wouldn't you want? Why him isn't to he the
0: head of creative charge?
1: Right. <laughs> like I know you like Paul Levesque, but if Vince is this amazing asset, like in, in Aria, Manual, is like, I demand Vince McMahon be part of this. Oh my process. God! Yes, I. De- like, why doesn't Vince? Shouldn't Vince have a larger role then? Why isn't Vince still in charge? Right. Um, yes, that would be my follow up. But it's the company line. It's what they've said, um, you know, pretty much last month or so about Vince's. They're not denying that he's involved for sure, but the public face of the creative right now is Triple H.
0: Yes. Um, on the the big the big scary story, are PLEs going to become pay per views again? Are, are all those PLEs is going to go behind a $60, $70, $80 paywall like they did in a, in a previous generation before 2014. Um, Nikon says, We didn't like traditional pay-per-view because 50% or so of the dollars go to in-demand, DISH, TV, just for plugging it in, which is absurd. Absurd. So getting out of that, going direct-to-consumer, got around that. He's talking about the W Network, Direct-to-Consumer, which launched in 2014. You see, even with... The UFC's ESPN Plus deal, there's no in-demand Dish and TV. That money, however, UFC and Disney carve carve it up. It goes to them. They have their split, but there's no middle person taking fifty percent. So we might, uh, so we might, we consider. So we might consider going back to digital pay-per-view if it is accessible to our fan base and if the price is right. Of course, we would consider it. So that sounds more open to the idea. Then he sounded on, I believe mean, it was the, the John O'Ran and, and Andrew Marchand sports business podcast, where he said, well, if somebody gave us a 5x increase, you know, offer, offer then sure, we would consider it. Um, this sounds more realistic. Now, it, again, that, that podcast with Marchand and O'Ran was before the merger. Um, so this is uh, something I think is giving wrestling fans a lot of fear that they might have to start paying $60, 70 80 dollars for a pay-per-view rather than getting it as, as part of their four ninety nine bundle on Peacock. Um, but I was thinking this through, and, like, I, I guess I am turning the corner towards believing that maybe some of these pay-per-views, or maybe WrestleMania would end up on pay-per-view. You look at AEW still doing pay-per-view. You look at other wrestling products. Even, like, New Japan just did a pay-per-view this this past weekend uh, that was on pay-per-view. New Japan's doing
1: more pay-per-views. Right.
0: And they still have their direct-to-consumer streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um Everybody else in the wrestling business is still in pay-per-view. And and if anything, we're seeing a a turn back into putting certain peak content on pay-per-view. I mean, stardom, I don't think you can watch the Cinderella semifinals and finals on stardom world yet. You have to buy the pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, I mean, from a negotiating standpoint, it's another leverage point, right? Which is, okay, Peacock, do you want to give us... Uh, an increase in what you've been paying us before or we can we also have this alternative idea where we'll just go back to pay-per-view
0: model um i I think what they're talking about there is like let's say peacock could offer the pay-per-view so he's he's talking about the the, one of the points he's trying to emphasize here it it was vince's justification for launching the network to say why should i give why should i give a a 50 percent split or something near that to 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 in demand or to direct TV or to di- dish network. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why the such a low price point, $9.99, made some sense. Um but if if they go to let's say they do pay per view on Peacock or let's say they make a deal with ESPN plus, there's no middleman pay-per-view provider to to split that with. Although I don't know. Let me think about this. Isn't ESPN Plus and isn't uh, Peacock? Wouldn't those in, in theory be the pay per view provider? Because it's not like there would be another.
1: Right? Why would why would they? Sure why would ESPN Actually, why would ESPN? Why would ESPN? Would be ESPN would be paying for WWE to ESPN to be like the host of the pay per view
0: server? As as it is now with so, UFC, UFC right. and, and ESPN have a deal so that ESPN Plus is the exclusive provider of pay per view. You can't get it on traditional pay per view.
1: And the belief is is that ESPN has been has made a great ESPN is
0: getting great value out of
1: that. ESPN is not paying UFC probably their market worth for the pay per views that they've
0: gotten out of it. Um, it's a and, and, it's 150 million dollars average annual value just for the pay per view piece, plus an additional 150 million dollars mm-hmm. for their other traditional TV content yes, and, like fight 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 night and yes. things like that.
1: And Brandon, you're of the you floated this theory many times that. WWE's increase in other business metrics lately can be somewhat attributable to Peacock and WWE's PLEs becoming more accessible for the general public. Um, And if they were to go back, if they were to say WrestleMania is going to be on pay-per-view, Royal Rumble is going to be on pay-per-view, you have to buy it now, would that hurt WWE's consumer metrics in other areas? Because you go from 20 million people or however many peacock subscribers there are having easy access to WrestleMania or Rumble to people who only are going to make the much more sizable financial investment in purchasing the individual events. And that's going to shake you down to more hardcore fans who, and and root out some of those maybe casual or lapsed fans who would be, if they like what they see would maybe become more frequent viewers of Monday Night Raw or SmackDown.
0: Yeah. I, I I think the lesson of, the network in 2014 lesson of, of Peacock in 2021, which wasn't really clear to me until the Peacock thing happened, because it was kind of a a second data point is that reach has a huge value. And it's specifically the reach of the pay-per-view events. Right. And I think it's, it's what do you value that reach? What's the, what's the dollar value of that reach? What's the dollar value of, of the increased engagement that you have downstream to your other businesses that comes with, Exposing that pay-per-view product to not just the 300,000 300, that may be willing to pay $60 for it, a B, a B pay-per-view, let's say, or in the case of WrestleMania, a million people, a million households anyway, globally, that are willing to pay $60 or $70 for it. Um, what's the value that you get by giving that product away at a f- fraction of the cost versus charging $80 for that product?
1: Right. And and there's also this idea, I think, in in Nikon's dream world, in WWE's dream world, they are still getting a really big deal from Peacock, where they are giving Peacock the B pay per views and the video library and some streaming shows and things like that. For but 200 also, million
0: dollars a year. Yep.
1: But they're also getting um, you know, their hands in the honeypot of the sense of we're gonna take our most marketable assets, things like WrestleMania for sure. And the Royal Rumble and maybe SummerSlam and maybe a few other events.
0: Which at this point, and we're going like $200 million dollars a year is probably a lot more than they would make on a direct-to-consumer pay-per-view service. Well, I should say a traditional pay-per-view service with a split, let's say a 50% split. I mean, like what what would they do? Let's say 12 pay-per-views a year. And most of them do, let's be nice and say 300,000 on average. So that's say 11 and then add in like another million for WrestleMania they end up doing something like, let's say, 3 million pay-per-view buys in a year at, like, I don't know, let's say $70 price point. That's, what, what's what's 30 million times 70? That's, I don't know, I'd have to do the math here. 30, 30 million, yeah, times $70 is, is 2.1 billion? No, that's not right. 30 million times 70 is, I don't know, not 30 million, 3 million times 70 is $210 million. So it's close. And I think I'm being probably too aggressive in assuming that every pay per view on average would do 300,000 because it's doing less than that just before the network launched. And I think this is going to be a tougher sell. If you, if you broke entirely from pay per view, which is probably not what we're talking about here, but if you broke entirely or broke entirely from streaming and went into pay per view, you'd have, um, it'd be a tougher sell because you'd be causing a lot of customer upheaval, putting things back behind the paywall, uh, you know, six times in the price or something like that. Um, so that's probably doing less than that. Moral of the story here is they're probably making more on this Peacock deal per, per year than they would if they were selling this in a traditional pay-per-view format. And they're getting the reach benefit of being on Peacock. So, this is a far better deal right now for WWE to be on Peacock, all of those pay-per-views on Peacock every month. Now, could they get a similar amount of value from Peacock while just selling WrestleMania for $80 every year and getting the, I don't know. And that's like if they were getting, if if there was not a split to that $200 million, they were splitting half of that with a pay-per-view carrier. Obviously, half of that goes away and doesn't become gross revenue for them or net revenue for them. Um, If you had um, where was I going here? If you had a pay-per-view at eighty you know, it, 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 at an eighty dollar price point, let's say you sell a million buys worldwide, you have eighty million dollars in gross revenue, maybe that's that one event is worth it. While you still get the reach benefit of exposing those eleven others or something like that.
1: And we really don't know what WWE's pay per view market would be. Be because we haven't seen it in a decade. Right. And I wonder, on one hand, right, the cat's out of the bag. People are used to paying $10 a month to get the pay-per-views. They're going to be upset uh, if they're going to be asked to pay 60 or 70 or maybe even more for the pay-per-views now. Um, WWE, as far as total viewers watching the product, like on Raw and SmackDown each week, is down, has, has significantly fewer total viewers than they did, um, back when they still had pay-per-views. Now at the same time, you've also got a lot of people, a lot more people are used to watching pay-per-views. A lot more people are used to watching backlash and, um, money in the bank and hell in a cell and whatever annual events that you have, um, and because they're used to watching them. To
0: add what, what what their pay-per-view demand was just before the network launched in 2013, This number right here for people watching in video, this is the number of global buys in thousands. So we had Royal Rumble, which was the second to last pay-per-view that was exclusively on pay-per-view. 517,000. But the B pay-per-views before it were under 200,000. Hell in a Cell did Mm -hmm. 232. Battleground did 119. SummerSlam did 332. To give you some idea of what the pay-per-view demand was at the very end. Mm -hmm.
1: And that was with considerably more people watching each week on television
0: but certainly i don't know what that says
1: about popularity in general right i guess i guess my my counterpoint to kind of argue that would be because you've now conditioned a lot of fans to watch the pay-per-views every month because they've been so easily accessible are those people now out of habit due to their consumption of wwe are they now just gonna be like well it'll be more expensive for me each month to watch it but that's what i do so i'm gonna watch it anyway and could you see a uh, be a, a little bit more room for optimism for people to buy these B pay-per-views, um, and obviously the creative plays a big role in it. I think like a show like Elimination Chamber from this February, I think that will probably would have done pretty well on pay-per-view, relatively speaking, because the Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns match was highly anticipated and people really wanted to see that. Will there can WWE with with Triple H as the sole leader of creative? Can they find that kind of consistency where people are really invested in the B pay-per-views. Um, I think it's easy for us to look at kind of historically what the B pay-per-views have been in the network era and say, those probably wouldn't sell a lot of pay-per-views if they were back under the old model, but perhaps under Triple H, that's different. Okay.
0: Our audio is okay now. I'm just realizing that we were having audio issues a moment ago, but we're apparently okay now. Yeah. I haven't, cha- I haven't changed anything. Okay. Um, well, w- one more thing to add here is that if we look at this chart here and, um, This is the the timeline of when some of these major TV deals, (laughs) there's no logos here, uh, so I don't know what we're looking at. Maybe if I pull up a different uh, screen here to to illustrate. I'm sure our our keen viewers will understand what each deal is based on what entity they have to deal with. Um, Let's look, like Let's look. I'm, I'm pulling up PowerPoint now. Okay, so you can see here the NBA, yeah, it, it's it's the next deal um, after the wrestling deals. But the wrestling deals are next on this chart that just shows NBA, UFC, WWE, AEW. The point I want to make here is that UFC. Their deals, both of them, I believe, expire sometime in 2025. And that lines up fairly nicely with the timing of the expiration of the Peacock deal, which is going to expire probably in late 2026. So Nikon's comment a couple weeks ago to Axios that he could see a streaming deal for WWE and UFC being dealt together. This is probably why, because the timing of these two deals is nearly, as Brandon Ross uh, said, coterminous. He introduced that word uh, on Thursday. So, there's the the timing is close here. So, maybe that makes sense for those deals to be dealt together. If that, at least that's a leverage option for them in in doing that negotiation.
2: Um, Just to backtrack to the viewership you guys were talking about, uh, uh, we have a super chat from MJ. Uh, It's a very passionate topic for him. Uh, Doing some math of AEW average buys uh, divided by weekly membership times WWE weekly viewership. That's a good point.
0: Um, what are aw buys though um so let's say 130 let's say for a typical aw pay-per-view especially post cm punk um and you want to do like what's the should we measure it against p2 plus should we measure it i guess whatever um
1: and are we factoring international buys or we're just using domestic buys because if we're talking about ratings we'd probably only be talking about domestic ratings um the models are also very different. AEW has four pay-per-views a year, I guess five with Forbidden Door, maybe six with whatever this Wembley show ends up being. And WWE has between 10 and 12 every year.
0: And um, I don't think we're talking about every pay-per-view for WWE being on pay-per-view. I think we're talking about... Stage, right,
1: we're talking about this model. Biggest and again, and again, WrestleMania, plenty of people that buy WrestleMania and Royal Rumble or, or watch it on the streaming services are not people who are watching the show, maybe at all.
0: Okay. What was the average um, viewership for AEW in Q1? I'm looking it up. Um, is it in this this tab that I'm not showing right now? It is Q1 2023. AEW averaged 907 thousand viewers. I, I see um, MJ is doing the the math in the chat. 907 thousand viewers. Um, he he did 125 thousand buys. Uh, so that's I guess how many buys per viewer. So let's say 907 divided by, I'll say 130. Yeah, and I know that's a global number compared to a domestic number, but that's um, 930 divided by 907. That's um, about 14% of your, now don't take this literally, but about 14% of your viewers are buying the pay-per-view. Um, should we, I'll, I'll put this against Raw since that's a cable show. Since we're talking about Dynamite, that's a cable show. Um, And the the viewership in Q1 for Raw was 1.8 million. So multiply 1.8 million uh, and you get, oh, Jesus. What's 14% of 1.83? It is 257,000 buys. For, I guess, a B pay-per-view is how you want to apply that. Because I think WrestleMania is doing a million. Yeah. Do you think WrestleMania is doing a million buys? Close to it. I think at least in the high hundreds of thousands, yes. How many WrestleManias
1: did a million buys? How standard was that in
0: the past? <clears throat> let's look it up at Um I have to share the this, this screen again. I think most of them in the, in the latter years did a million uh, worldwide, of course. So let's look at the um, pay-per-view, WWE pay-per-view. Um, and we have... Let's see here. Where's the first? This is the last WrestleMania before the network did 1.1 million buys globally uh, in 2013. That's the Rock Cena, right? So um, that's, those are huge events, yeah. And then the first, the, the first Rock Cena did 1.2 million buys in 2012. And then the 2011 WrestleMania did what was even on that? Um, did this that was the, Taker and
1: John Cena and The Miz was the main event? And,
0: and Taker right. and Shawn Michaels retirement 1.1. Million buys? No,
1: that wouldn't have been Taker and John Michael's retirement. That would have been. You're right.
0: um, I'm sorry. Triple H versus the Undertaker. That's right. Um, and then WrestleMania in 2010 only did 885 thousand buys globally. And have I scrolled too fast here? No. And then WrestleMania in 2009 did 975 thousand buys, so just short of a million. I'll do one more, and we'll stop here. And then a million buys in 2008 for Wrestlemania
1: so that's Wrestlemania 24 um yeah yeah it's interesting because do you think Wrestlemania the brand of Wrestlemania is bigger now than it was 10 years ago yes when they were last on pay-per-view I think that's probably fair to say obviously it's two nights
0: that's Uh, yeah how do you sell that yeah I guess you probably sell a deal where you get two nights as a package or something right um but still it's an enormous price point at that at that Right, probably so over
1: if we're talking about a million. Means, yeah, yeah. It would be. It would be very interesting to see. I mean, I would, – from a fan perspective, from like a cost perspective, I would not like the idea of having to pay more money. Like I think most people would, but from like a per, very like a, from like a, just a, a basic personal perspective, I like the idea of wwe having to actually sell each pay-per-view which would probably mean that i'd have to give away more matches and would feel more responsible when it comes to the product that they present on some of these sh- pay-per-view shows um and secondary it would be great to have more data points on who is the draw and what events are drawing to have those if this is a pay-per-view main event it does well and it does much better than the pay-per-view event last year uh, last month, what does that say about these
0: wrestlers? And that's information that we used to have. It would be good for, for Wrestleomics really for us to. It would be mm-hmm. very good for Wrestleomics, better able to analyze who's a draw. That's the most important thing.
2: Yes, um, um, we do have some you more, more, you super more super, chats. super yeah, chats. Yeah, yeah. Let's say we do these super chats here. Uh, uh, this is the MJ takeaway. Uh, or maybe there'll be a segment on the show. Uh, wrestling fans should stop pirating content because that's making WWE lose money and have a stigma that it's for lower income pirates. I don't agree with this MJ. I think pirating is, is very overrated
0: in in its effect on business. Um, I think it's, I think it's something that sometimes gets pointed to as, Oh my God, we could have made all this money if not for all these pirates. I don't think it's a zero sum game. I don't think everybody who pirated would have bought the product. And I think the, the volume of people who are actually pirating this content, um, which is illegal and all that is is relatively small. I just don't believe it's a huge factor.
2: All right, and then uh, Nick MP, uh, possible the next TV deals will have a linear streaming simulcast. For example, Raw on USA slash Peacock and Dynamite on TBS slash Max.
0: I think this is a real possibility that we're going to see. You know, as we do for a lot of. Not the NBA currently, but maybe the next deal because we see it for the NFL at least on CBS. You can watch CBS really at any time on, on Paramount Plus.
1: Um, the the uh, I believe the NBA, I believe the NBA was doing it yesterday as a, on, on ESPN, ESPN Plus. Plus. Okay, yeah, because I was watch. I was actually watching um, the Celtics game uh, on the ESPN app on my Roku, which I use a cable login normally to watch, and it presented me with the option where I could either watch it. On ESPN. Speaking of pirating. Network. Or I could watch it on ESPN+. Plus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I... I, I Monday Night Football, they do that you too. Watch. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Yeah. So you could watch it on either service if you wanted to, whether you're paying for cable or whether you just have it on a streaming service. Yeah. So... And I don't know what the... What we're definitely... Go ahead. I'm saying we're definitely seeing that. I mean, uh, CBS, Paramount Plus is is, is... is Like you said, you can watch... I can watch CBS all the time. That's how I watch cbs if the patriots are on wbz our local cbs affiliate i've watched on paramount plus because i don't have cable. you don't use your don't antenna have you don't have an antenna i don't have an antenna up i do have an antenna but it's more for emergencies if like i lose internet
0: um is hard work it's hard to make those work especially on those lower channels lower yeah
1: um we have um um i know peacock does it all the time for a lot of their events like Premier league soccer if it's on USA, it could sometimes also be streaming on Peacock. Sometimes it's exclusive to Peacock. Sometimes it's exclusive to USA. You really have to look. But um, I know the Olympics, I believe they did something very similar. So these streaming services are pretty much doing it with most of their live live sports entities. So it would not surprise me at all if that becomes a, re- a reality, um, especially if you consider the bundling of of. You know, P- NBCU is paying for raw and they also run Peacock. So why would they dump it on there?
0: Peacock has added CNBC. Is that true? I'm hearing a rumor in the chat.
1: Um, I don't know that for that. True. I, I don't know that much about CNBC, but I know for Paramount plus, you can watch a lot of the Paramount, yes. uh, you know, um, Columbia owned mm-hmm. networks on Paramount plus. It's not just CBS. Mm-hmm. Um, and ESPN, you can watch, I know ESPN Plus, you can watch ESPN, you can watch ESPN News, you can watch some of the other um, lower tier ESPN networks.
0: Yeah, I, I would expect this – maybe maybe this is a way to, to make the deal more complex because they're probably not carving out, here's our streaming rights for you to, to, to broadcast this live. And remember, they made the Hulu deal expire. They did an extension on the Hulu next day Raw Smackdown deal. Or not the SmackDown deal with the Raw and I believe the SmackDown's probably gonna expire at the same time. In any case, those Hulu rights I believe are going to expire at the same time that the live rights expire. So that's going to be something that they can deal as part of this live rights deal that's being discussed right now. Um which which may have a lot of bearing on on how this, this question plays out. Where where are Raw and SmackDown going to live? not just on traditional TV, but maybe as part of a streaming service. I don't know where SmackDown, if, it's, if SmackDown stays on Fox, I mean, may, maybe Tubi Golo, but. Tubi
2: is yeah. growing. It's growing.
0: Yeah. Um. And we'll, I'm not not sure about The Max, maybe. I mean, I, I think that, that AEW all in UK show is going to end up on The Max, is my guess. No, no information there. Um. Do we have more from this Nikon interview? I told you, you didn't have a lot to talk about today. Uh, (laughs) Upcoming TV deals. Nikon said there are more buyers than there were four years ago, five years ago when we did the current deal. Amazon and Apple, this is, you know, something he said a number of times. I don't think Apple's a real buyer, but I think Amazon is a real potential bidder. But does Amazon... But do you want to sacrifice the reach that you're getting with Fox? Um, Fox is, is giving you $205 million plus a huge reach value. Amazon has... A far weaker reach value because it's just on streaming, um, and I don't think Apple is going to put wrestling on Apple Plus. I think that's that's something for other sports, but not for wrestling. Um, and there's no issues, no issues with their relationship with Saudi Arabia as it relates to this merger. That is going forward, no problem. Hundred million dollars a year. He didn't say Could that. Could
1: UFC but. be involved? He also talked about UFCs potentially getting involved with Saudi Arabia. Do we well, I'm also mentioning that he doesn't know the specifics of their deals with Fight Island, and I don't know where, the worst fight island. I don't know
0: the particular fight island is. I don't know the, particulars fight island of their the fight island Abu Dhabi deal. It's Abu Dhabi. right. Um, I know it worked out quite well for them. So for us with Saudi, they've been good to us. We like to think they've been good to them. I don't know what that means. I don't know to the extent what the Abu Dhabi relationship is, he's talking about with USC. I know it's been good. I don't know how long it is. If there's an opportunity to expand it, of course, everyone's going to be open to that conversation.
1: Something interesting he said when we talked about international expansion. Yeah, he talked about the, the WWE and the UK deal, and as we know, WWE was on Sky for a very long period of time, and that they are no longer on Sky; they're on BT Sport in what is considered a downgrade of a deal.
0: Correct? Yes, and uh, lower ratings because of the, it's a lower reach. I mean, Sky was on premium. I'm sure the UK fans will should, should yell at us and remind us what the deal is. But Dynamite is is more highly viewed, I believe, than at least the BT sport airing of raw and or SmackDown because, right. because Dynamite is on ITV, which is a bigger network. All
1: right. Um, but in this interview on the Lightshed podcast, Nick Khan talked about, he mentioned being part of the negotiations, but not really being a part of the negotiations previously, because he wasn't involved with WWE yet. Um, and Vince, he, Nick told Vince supposedly that, Nick had been hearing that Sky was upset that WWE didn't run anu- the number of live events in the UK the way they wanted to. And that was one of the reasons that Sky was not interested in WWE. Um, and then Nick said, when I got inv- when then when I came into the company, what did we do? We went over and we did a big show in Cardiff and it drew 65,000 people. And they're doing money in the bank in, in London this year. And he put that as kind of a, a Away. He, he sold it as the idea that we're doing these live events because we want to be back on Sky and we want Sky to know that we're really committed to the UK market. Um, so Yes,
0: and they're doing Money in the Bank in London and that's not something that was, nor- that was normal. I mean, they've never done until, this, until last year a traditional pay-per-view. They've done UK pay-per-views, but they've never done a real honest-to-goodness pay-per-view in the UK until Clash of the Castle um, and I guess well, SummerSlam 92. Um, and now they're going to do Money in the bank there as well. And Those deals are coming up just after, I believe, just after the U.S. deals, as well as India. India was touched on. Um, India was a was a doubling of the prior deal. It went from in the prior round, I believe, twenty eight million to what I believe is now fifty million for Sony in India. Um, I'm not aware of this, but he alluded to some kind of merger happening with Sony in India that they have to wait to to, to get completed. Um, I don't know if he was referring to his own marriage. I don't think so. But that has to be completed before they can talk about what their their deal in India is. And and India is their second biggest TV market. We talk about how huge the U.S. rights fees are, and they are huge. They're multiple times bigger than any other market. But the second biggest one is India. Mm -hmm. And he said
1: WWE is the second biggest sport in India.
0: Yes, behind cricket. It's cricket. Mm -hmm. And then WWE. Not wrestling. WWE. Yes. And he also put over... He
1: he said that the was it Superstar Showdown, was that the Indian TV show they Superstar tested?
0: Spectacular, I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah, spectacular, um, yeah. S- spectacle. spectacle? Was it spectacular?
0: <laughs> so he put over Spectacle. He said
1: in the podcast he said that, you know, they only they had native Indian stars, not you know, not just WWE wrestlers, but native Indian stars. Yep, people in development right people in developmental uh and they he he says that in india for that show they had 25 million live viewers and 40 million viewers in total uh just in india for that one show And i don't Um, don't know if he
0: detailed it like that in the past but this is definitely something that he he talked about in an earnings call after it happened and it apparently was a huge
1: success but it was so successful that they never did it ever again
0: so this was on january 22nd 2021 so this is before the return to touring um it raises the question: when, when are they going to try to go to India for a live event again? Remember, they did in well, 2017. Said- they tried to go to to, to a live do live events in India. They had a, they did, booked two, had to cancel one. This is in the midst of just before actually, Jinder Mahal dropped the title when he was world champion. Remember, remember, Jinder Mahal was the WWE World Champion.
1: I do remember it. Roman Reigns has had to hold the title for almost a thousand days to to try to get the title back on on track. After that, acknowledge thing. him. He's done it the um but well nick actually said that something he said it like i forget the specifics of it but he said like once that merger with sony 6 is complete we're looking to go back to india for so for whatever reason they haven't gone back to india yet um obviously the pandemic prevented international shows like that um but nick said that for whatever reason it seems to be connected to the merger i don't really know why specifically that would have to do with a live event in india but then they're they're definitely interested in going back but, um, I mean, it's an interesting thing because they're, they're getting real money from the Indian market. Like you said, it's the second largest TV deal that they have, but the, the raw numbers that he tosses out in the Indian, de- uh, with the Indian market almost feel irrelevant. Um, because, and we know that from things like oh, 25 million people watched your show, but you never did another one of them. So does it matter if 25 million people watch the show live? If you never did another one of them. Um, Obviously, that wasn't a number that was big enough to support a, a consistent weekly show because they haven't done that. Um, obviously, their touring in India hasn't been successful enough to, deter- to, to lead to future tours
0: because I'm sure if they were wildly successful, they'd be doing them more often. Um, yeah, it's, it's so a on one head, you market for them. But there's not been a live event market for them. Yeah, and you,
1: you, yeah, so you can't dismiss the Indian market's importance to WWE because, like you said, it's the second
0: biggest television deal market. Um, but at the same time, and, and let me tell you, just, you, you've been on Twitter. The, there's a huge WWE fan base apparently from India, highly engaged on Twitter, I would say.
1: Right, in social media, we've seen those with the YouTube numbers and things like that, and how much they are centered around India. I know from a little bit of personal experience that wrestling news websites do a lot of get a lot of traffic from India. Um, I'm sure we have Indian subscribers to this show, yes, um, yes, I believe so, and so. There is a there is a level of market there, but the way they toss around these numbers, like the viewership numbers and how many fans they have in India, and they're the second biggest popular, most popular sport in India, all of that stuff kind of doesn't feel that relevant because ultimately all they're getting is the television revenue. Not, it doesn't seem like the India market's actually paying uh, for anything other than that. Mm.
0: Um, okay, I think that's all we have for the Nikon.
2: Interview. Yeah. Um, just so. to touch on that, uh, just to go back a little bit to the uh, superstar spectac- uh, spectacle, uh, they used 10 native Indian talents that were all under WWE contract at that time. Only five of them are now. So. Okay.
1: Right. And we haven't seen, like, I think we've seen Shanky. Is he still there? Shanky's still there? Yeah. He's still, yeah. Dancing, he's da- he's still dancing on, like, main event. Um, but a lot of those talents that we saw, we haven't seen since, like, on television. Well, I
2: think like, Veer's on NXT again, counts. and I forget the, okay, his so tag partner. Veer, yeah.
1: Um, who they refused to acknowledge had a, a major motion picture made about him.
2: Well, he was just a tall, skinny baseball player. It doesn't work there. <laughs> it doesn't work for them.
1: Um, He, uh, but, but we don't see, like, I remember they had, like, the guy who was like, he's India's first high flyer, and, like, I don't think we've seen that guy ever again. I don't even know if he's still with the company. Um, do they have any... I know they still have Xia Li. Do they have any of the male Chinese wrestlers still in developmental? Because I know some of them have, have have gone back to China and have stopped wrestling. And I don't some know.
0: Are... Gola, Go, why do you look that up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer this question from MJ. Did Vince pop a rating on CNBC with his interview? I have some spreadsheets up right now. I will tell you. We need some context. I can tell you with a rating, with a viewership. And now, first of all, this is, this is not an easy answer because... Squawk on the Street is a three-hour block in Nielsen. So Squawk on the Street on April 3rd, the day of the merger, which consisted of like 20 minutes of, of Vince and Ari or something like that probably, um, did a .03 in the demo and 289,000 viewers in that entire three-hour block. Um, sorry, I don't have the quarter hours. Um, <clears throat> the prior week, Squawk on the Street did a .02 and higher total viewership, 216. Um, and then the following week, this past Monday, the 10th squawk on the street, did a point Oh four in the demo and two ten. So did Vince pop a rating? Not so much that we see a, 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 discernible difference here on squawk on the street on CNBC.
2: So thank you. Andre. Um, but bow is there. Uh, he is there at least, right. I think there's more, but he's he, just ju- he was it. just on NXT yeah. level up, I think.
1: Yeah. 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 I think the guy I was thinking of was Tian Sha, Tian Bin. Tian Bing? Who was kind of like the – Yeah, like they like had him – I think they had him in the Royal Rumble one year. Like they really kind of yes. tried to he present released him. He was long ago, I believe. Yeah. 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 But that was a whole effort. and I don't know what their like what their value is in the Chinese market. I know that's something they've obviously tried to do. I don't think
0: they're but, even on PPTV anymore. I don't know if they have a yeah. media deal in the Chinese market that's active. Um Okay. We've had some good super chats here. If you want to put another one in, go for it. Um, we have more to talk about. The Max debuted. It's not going to be HBO Max. It's going to be just the Max. Uh David Zasloff, There he is. The uh the sinister minister of, of AEW standing out there on the stage introducing this is the new merged streaming service name. You're still gonna be able to subscribe to um Discovery Plus. Go, is your household still subscribed to Discovery Plus? Yeah.
2: We love our main love cabin cabin masters. Don't worry.
0: If, if you don't want HBO Max as well, you can subscribe to Discovery Plus separately. But if you want to watch Succession, you might as well, and you want to watch the Discovery Plus stuff, you might as well subscribe to the Max. Um, by the way, the um, upfront there's reports from Andrew Zarian that this the new Saturday Night Show could be announced and could happen in June. Um, I would expect us to know by May seventeenth, which is when the upfronts are for WBD. Because that's that is the day that you would announce a thing like that and not before then. Um, so we'll see if that happens, if if, if that's really the CM Punk show. Um, another AEW TV news. AEW All Access aired its third episode. Two hundred and eighty one thousand viewers. It was the least viewed of of the three in the normal time slot. Of course, on the 25th, they did this sneak peek episode that had 738,000 viewers. It was coming after college basketball tournament game, March madness. How does the question is, how does AEW all access, how does its ratings compare to power slap, which was the, you know, the show immediately preceding all access in that time slot, right after dynamite on TBS at 10 o'clock. And Power Slap was averaging across this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven airings that we have here for Power Slap. It averaged 295,000 viewers, 0.09 the demo. And that is slightly higher than the most recent episode. The other two episodes did better than the average for Power Slap. So there's six episodes in total, I believe. So we've got three more to do a better average, to keep the average above what Power Slap did which I would think is a minimum expectation. Um, so moving on to, I don't know what's next, SummerSlam. Um, WrestleTix does not have an estimate yet, but I believe there's over 30,000 tickets distributed here so far. The general on sale was on Friday. I did manage, and, and the only tickets that are left, and this is a screenshot from um, yesterday, so I don't, I don't know if it's changed today. I uh, don't expect that it has. $200 is the minimum Price that's left. I, I looked at this on Friday later in the day, I think, and I managed to get $250 tickets. I don't know how I did it, but I've got $250 tickets to be sitting up here in the nosebleeds. Um, so this is going to be another monster gate in all likelihood.
1: And I noticed they're set up with a more uh, even setup as opposed to, if you remember SummerSlam last year, when they were in Nashville. They basically took everyone. They, they they, basically took everyone and moved them to the hard cam side, so they couldn't film, uh, the non hard the hard cam side of the, the event. So the entire production team had to f- film the entire event without showing a whole side of the building because it was completely empty and it looked would have looked weird. It seems like from this setup, just from this WrestleX picture, that they have they're walling off like you know, this back third of Fort Fields. And they're so they're going to have a much more uh, normal-looking setup where as opposed to everyone just being on one side of the building. Um, so it seems like they're better prepared, I guess, for yeah.
0: so this is a, producing this it. This is a Ticketmaster screenshot that Russell Tick's got. Uh, this is for the Nashville show. So I'm guessing it's... Right. I don't know if you can see my mouse. I'm guessing it's all of this on the lower portion of the screen here that was... Right, and
1: you can see even, like, where the entrance ramp is. Is. Right. And so you can see where the screens and stuff were. They were not on the empty side of the building. They were like off to the, the left center of where people were sitting. Um, and it like you didn't notice after a while, but it beca- like I remember watching that first match on that show and just being like, it's very strange that they cannot show these camera angles from certain sides because half the building is empty. Um, it seems like that this is a much better setup. Uh, and in contrast, there's there's
0: tickets on both sides. Here. Right, and
1: you can see where the stage likely is. It looks like they're probably going to have some form uh, of curtain or something up.
0: Uh, I mean, you can see the aisleway here. It's a similar, it's yeah. a, it's the same sort of aisleway, the sort of L-shaped aisleway that they do, hockey stick-shaped mm-hmm. aisleway that they do for their stadium shows. Um, which is always kind of weird because you see like the the, the view and you, and you look all the way down the, the ramp and you just see seats. And you don't actually because it sort of hooks at the bottom there. But anyway, um, so SummerSlam. I don't know. Let's let's say. I know Royal Rumble did $160 for an average ticket price, live on-air math. If they, if it's it's probably a reasonable average ticket price to, to assume here, I and mean, we got the, the public records request for for San Antonio, so we know what the average ticket price was. If they do... I mean, Royal Rumble did in excess of 40000 paid. If they do in excess of 40000 paid again, they're going to do over $6 million for a gate.
1: This is... Uh, I mean... SummerSlam is not as big as the Royal Rumble.
0: Uh, yeah, it's the number three.
1: This is a better market for the Royal Rumble than San Antonio. It's a much larger market in Detroit, and it's also much closer to other major markets. Like you said, you're coming from Buffalo, um, Brandon. That's a, that's a feasible. It's yeah. a feasible drive for you. There's obviously people I'm sure coming from Toronto and the other uh, larger cities you cut through in um, the area, Ontario, to get there a little faster. It's not that far from. Chicago, it's certainly not that far from Cleveland or Indianapolis or Pittsburgh. So it's a much more centrally located than being in Texas and San Antonio, um, I would think. And I, ima- I do imagine the Ford Field building is more expensive than the Alamo Dome, which I know the Alamo Dome is very cheap for a building of that size, um, which is why WWE has run there, because you can obviously do a big crowd without having to pay a premium price. Ford Field is obviously a much newer building uh, than the Alamo Dome, and it's obviously... It's no
0: Pontiac Silver
1: uh, Dome. More active. That's for sure. It's not the Pontiac Silver Dome.
0: So what what will they announce? Well, when they did WrestleMania, what will they announce for an attendance? The, the Trump Mania, not the, not the Trump Mania book by Lavi Marlin. No, the the, the Trump WrestleMania in 20, 2007, WrestleMania 23. They announced 80,103. So I, I I imagine they will not, not announce a number larger than that because it's WrestleMania. And they'll, they'll announce I mean, they're something not- in excess of 15 or 20% of the paid.
1: Right, and what do, you, what do we expect the pay to be? Maybe forty, forty-five thousand.
0: I would go forty to fifty, somewhere certainly in that range. Right.
1: Well, if WrestleMania, which had a much larger setup, I think than this show is going to have, and what did WrestleMania do for paid? Right around probably sixty thousand.
0: This WrestleMania
1: in two thousand seven.
0: Luckily, I have the press release
1: right, right here. No, 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 no WrestleMania this year.
0: What's the question about WrestleMania for this year?
1: How many how many paid do you think WrestleMania? I know that both nights maybe there was a little discrepancy, but how many paid did WrestleMania do this year? Probably around 60,000? Probably. They did about 66,000 both nights with tickets distributed, If we think about 6,000 comp or so, maybe what, more cuz of the, the, the LA market.
0: Distributed again, 66. 66. I would say it's I don't, just knock off like 5 to 10%, so um, you want like per per night. Um,
1: I'm just throwing out. I'm just comparing WrestleMania, which had like, say, about six. I yeah. assume. 550s. I assume. Yeah, I assume SoFi Stadium has about is around the same, same size as Ford Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm also assuming that more tickets were made available for WrestleMania than Ford Field. It seems like Ford Field has a more conservative setup, which makes sense because it's SummerSlam and right. not WrestleMania. And that could change
0: if the demand. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And Detroit has always been pretty much forever since Paul Orndorff. Since Paul Orndorff, he popped the territory—the big event with Hulk Hogan in the '80s. That was in Toronto. Sorry, what am I thinking? I mean, I
1: was thinking about the yeah. Sheik and okay. Big Time Wrestling. Well, the Sheik um, killed the territory after after he popped it. Yeah, after 30, 30 years of, of success, there he, he yes. found it bad. But Detroit's always been a strong Wrestle uh, WWE market. It's even been a strong AEW market from you know Dynamite's debut and, and
0: at the Little Caesars Arena, did like one of their biggest crowds ever. Blood and guts, uh, things of that nature.
2: Yeah. One of the very uh, few cities that, that had a, a TNA timeline was on Detroit. Yeah. It's
1: always been a great wrestling city. Um, and like I said, it's, it's accessible. For yeah.
2: Ring of honor. Did well too, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. So I assume them to do, it made a lot of sense. And because and I'm surprised they haven't gone back. I know Detroit is not the most glamorous market to be in for like WrestleMania compared to like Los Angeles um, or like it doesn't have the party atmosphere of a place like new Orleans. But there's just over 5,000 out for the dynamite in Detroit on
0: May 10th right now. Right.
1: Um, which is good by dynamite standards uh, recently. Lately, yeah. um, but I like it's so Detroit's not like the sexiest market, but they have a great venue. Um,
0: it's a very sprawled out region, as I've learned from the Detroit from, from area booking a hotel. Yes. It's no Montreal, yeah. that's for sure.
1: But it's... um. <laughs> They've, it's always been a strong market. I'm surprised this is only the second major event Ford Field has held for WWE.
0: Um, and just looking back on the, the press release, this is what everybody is, is tuning in for, the, the the retrospective look at press releases from 2007. Look at all these, these details that they gave in this press release in 2007, just after WrestleMania had happened. Uh, 2.1 million pay-per-view buys. They were explicit. Um, in, excess, in excess of... million dollars so even they told you the number of buys they told you how much money they grossed in pay-per-view they told you this was the highest grossing one day event live event in w history grossing more than 5.38 million dollars in ticket sales so they told you the gate down to the second decimal uh in 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 the tens of thousands merchandise sales for at the venue 1.6 million per cap of 21 dollars and then W Shop generated another almost four hundred thousand dollars. Look at all these details. This is not the level of detail that we get today. They 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 did reverse trend and uh, announced the WrestleMania gate twenty one point six million dollars. So, um, but that was the first time in a long time that they gave us an actual numerical detail.
1: Mm-hmm. In WrestleMania twenty three, I don't know what the actual paid attendance for that show was, but that was probably the biggest paid attendance. For a WWE show. I don't know if it was bigger than WrestleMania 17 at the Astrodome. I feel like it probably was. Um, and if it was bigger than that show, then that makes that probably make it the biggest paid attendance for a WWE um event.
0: WrestleMania on you know, a quick Google search. No, nah, never mind. That's not the wrong with that.
1: I'm just thinking raw attendance numbers. Yeah. Like at least a decade, probably. If it's bigger than WrestleMania 17.
0: I'd, I'd have to look at the com has it. Um, so, do we have more? Oh, there's another stadium show in August. On August 27th, tickets go on sale on May 5th. I was I told WrestleTix that you're, you're going to have to get up at 4 a.m. to track that, that live on sale. Because in UK time, uh, when tickets go on sale, it'll be 4 a.m. U.S. Eastern. Um,
1: Are you saying that WrestleTix is on the U.S. Eastern
0: time? I believe so, yes. I am not WrestleTix, though.
1: Just saying. Spilling little, de- little details about their identity. Okay.
0: Um, Peter Insider has learned that AEW has exceeded 50,000 pre sale registrations for All In in London at Wembley Stadium. Um, is this good news? Or is, is it, uh, you know, is this too many pre registrations?
1: I think it's safe to say, Brandon, that each person uh, that is pre-registered is probably going to buy about two and a half tickets on average. So I'm assuming this is going to have an event of uh, attendance of 150,000. Yes.
0: Not everyone who pre-registers will buy a ticket. However, most people who buy a ticket will buy more than one ticket. Uh, So I would say, Gabe, you might be selling 50,000. I have absolutely no idea
1: what this show is going to do. I don't think... I think most people who are saying that they have an idea are not, don't, uh, it would almost no figure would surprise me. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't surprise me if they did a lot less than 50,000. It wouldn't surprise me if they did like, it wouldn't really surprise me that much if they did like 8,000. I know that's like, would be a terrible number and I, and I would expect them to do more, but like, I'm kind of ready for any number. I have no idea what the show is going to do. Absolutely no idea,
2: Brandon. You mentioned Uh, that if they do fifty thousand, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a milestone for them. In in I
0: think anything over forty really would be a huge deal for them as as a a branding event. This will be, regardless of whatever they make or don't make in this event directly. I think there's a huge marketing value in having this enormous crowd in the UK.
1: The biggest WCW attendance figure that exist where people didn't have weren't told by government order to attend (laughs) is I think it's 41,000 for the the Georgia dome show might be a little bit under that. Um, But so if they beat that, I mean, you've got the biggest show uh, paid show in modern wrestling history. That wasn't run by WWE. Um, If you beat that total, you'd probably have to go back to like George, George, uh, not George. Uh, Jim Londos in the 1930s in Athens, Greece, against Kolo Curiani, doing allegedly hundreds of people. I was looking at this the other day. Um, that's a famous. I mean, that's a famous event. Is the it was in Pantheonakios Stadium, Pantheon stadium Stadium, uh, in in Greece, the Olympic Stadium in Greece. He did a couple stadium shows in Greece that did over fifty thousand people. Um, those would be the biggest non WWE shows ever, based on attendance. Unless you want to talk about like the great Gamma doing a um, 200,000 people at some show in Pakistan uh, around the turn of the century, which probably isn't real. But, All
0: right, let's 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 um, let's figure this out. I've got the the pro wrestling doc. ProWrestlingHistory.com Excel spreadsheet. A
1: famous Excel spreadsheet,
0: by the way. I can, I just, I've just i looked at this a million times. We want to know WCW's biggest... We'll, we'll do WrestleMania 17 uh, also in a second. Uh, but let's, let's look at... What, what is WCW's biggest attendance according to this spreadsheet? Oh, this is pay-per-view buys. I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. But it's also in here. TV, crowd, crowd. Okay. We want... Because <sighs> uh, there's multiple tabs here, of course. I forgot. I haven't been in the spreadsheet in, in a little while. Uh, WCW. Let's select WCW. Not double-double-C. Where's W? There it is. Okay, and we want to sort by attendance, largest to smallest. The Georgia Dome, forty-one, four hundred and twelve. It's probably originally sourced from the Observer, uh, and that's the that that is the Hogan and Goldberg match in the Georgia Dome.
1: Right well, on on a like what a six state build or whatever. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. They probably booked it on the prior Nitro. Yeah, I mean uh, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm not kidding here. <laughs> yes. Um and we wanna know uh WrestleMania in uh WrestleMania seventeen, right?
1: Just if you look at all the WWE events yeah. um by year, we can figure
0: that out. Is this it here? The Astrodome, sixty seven sixty seven thousand nine hundred and twenty five, so almost sixty eight thousand and a three point five million dollar gate. Um which which how does that compare to the uh, the Trump gate? Um so even I'm on, sure the
1: gate is larger for the Trump shows. I don't think it's, I don't, think there's, I don't see a
0: 2007 in here. So maybe he doesn't have it, um, but we did, did just mention what it, what it was, right. It's in the slides. Um, it's on the press release. Yeah,
1: My point was that was just that WrestleMania 23 show. It's, it's not really relevant now, but yeah. it was, it was like the biggest, I think it would be their biggest, sh- sh-
0: sh- you know, paid attendance show since over five years from Trump show. Yeah. And thre- maybe three, maybe WrestleMania three. For 17. Anyway, yeah. Not, not that it's particularly um, insightful to compare dollar values that are many, many. Right. Uh, back to the, the pre-registered
1: notes. I know, I think Mike Johnson had it at over 50,000 yes. pre-registered recently. Um, in the Observer this week, Meltzer mentioned that the WWE Clash at the Castle show, by the time tickets went on, officially went on sale, or maybe once the pre-sale officially started, that they did, um, I think they had 85,000 people signed up for pre-sale codes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they sold something like thirty five thousand during the presale first day or something like that. So if you want to do I a little would, bit of that. I would a suggest
0: that a big factor in in the conversion there is are the ticket prices for Clash of the Castle.
1: Correct. We don't and, know, and did know what the point. ticket
0: prices are going to be for this all in show, as far as I know.
1: Well, uh, Dave had some figures in the Observer, um, and he 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 mentioned that. Like right, you said if, if you everyone remembers that an immediate. As soon as those tickets went on officially went on sale, everyone was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how expensive those tickets are!" And people feeling, you know, so a lot of people probably signed up, shocked at how expensive tickets were, and didn't end up going. I don't expect I these AEW ticket prices
0: to be nearly as as high as class yeah. Class Dave has.
1: had yeah. ringside seats um, for the um, for the Wembley Stadium show for AEW. I believe he said the most expensive t- seats were. 600 pounds sterling, which I think translates roughly to like $750. It might be a little bit more, might be closer to a thousand, but um, by comparison, the most of the ringside seats for the clash of the castle show were 4,500 pounds sterling. So they were 10 times more expensive than, uh, or nine times more expensive than the AEW ringside tickets. And outside of that, AEW has a lot more, the Wembley stadium show seems to have a lot more tickets that are for under a hundred dollars. Uh, so the, the AEW show is going to be much more affordable. They might not do as big of a gate, even if they do a bigger crowd, but it seems to be the the goal seems to be to draw as big of a crowd as possible, as opposed to getting the biggest gate as possible.
2: Yeah, It wasn't a okay. super chat, but MJ asked a real quick question about the Clash. He goes, how did the Clash work? Uh, they got paid to go and made the gate. Was that a bought show, Clash of the Castle? They got a government subsidy okay.
0: from... The local government in Wales. Um there's an article from local media in Wales that tried that asked the government what the subsidy value was, and the government would not disclose it because of because of a competitive bidding process. Um, but they made eight eight million dollars is what they reported in their international ticket revenue line in that quarter, and there's only one event that was a, a non-domestic event, and that was Clash Castle. So they made the question is: Is that is the subsidy included in that eight million dollars? I don't know, um, but they made eight million dollars in revenue off of that event. Certainly, just in ticket, right? Just in, I mean, not including merch, and may or may not include subsidy.
1: Yes, these cities and areas are paying with the idea that they will bring tourists to the region, and that will be beneficial to their tax base as they stay at local hotels and eat at local restaurants. And that's the reason they ran in Cardiff. It wasn't because you know I'm sure. If it was up to them. They would have liked to have run Wembley Stadium. Um, it's a bigger venue. It's a more prestigious venue, and London is an easier place for people in Europe uh, to get to than Cardiff. But
0: Cardiff was the one that offered them um, the spot to go. And Puerto Rico have you is heard giving about them the... 1.8 million dollars to do backlash right. there uh, next month.
1: Have you heard? Have you heard about the potential Perth, Australia show?
0: It's in, it's in the atmosphere. Yes.
1: Right, I would expect it to which would be very interesting because if you were to run a show in Australia, you would not want to run it in Perth. Wrong no offense Perth? to any listeners from Perth. Perth is on the uh, complete opposite coast of like all of the other major cities in Australia. It's kind of like the, it is a sizable. I believe the metro area is well over a million people, but it is on the um, western coast of Perth uh, of Australia, and would theoretically be much harder to it's a very isolated metro area is basically what i'm saying as opposed to if you were to run it in melbourne or sydney which are not only much larger metro areas but also probably easier to access than perth but if perth is willing to pay to have wwe come there oh we've got a map of australia yeah, right here. here yeah if you see out in the western australia uh, territory you can see perth um but perth is really isolated compared to like the southeastern coast of Australia.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. Sydney, Melbourne over on the, uh, yeah. the East coast.
1: Basically everyone that's not from Perth that would want to go to that, Austra- that if assuming you're running a stadium show would have to fly, um,
0: and Australia is not a small strong. country. It's not like you can drive no, from Melbourne. It is
1: roughly the size of the United States. So the difference between Perth and say Melbourne is probably similar to the distance between like Tampa, Florida and San Diego, California.
2: Yeah. Um, um, we, uh, AC mentioned in the chat and I checked that because the zone reported on it just to go back to the AW wall in. Uh Live Nation mentioned to the customers that we're looking at 30 pounds to 500 pounds for tickets. Great. So yes.
0: Yeah, so that's that seems similar. Day, now day and, and a half drive. looking up- Day and a half. Drive. I'm I'm thinking about driving from uh, Melbourne to uh to Perth. It's a day and a half drive just in driving time. Interesting. Right. So we're talking
1: about in like Adelaide is a little bit closer than Melbourne is, but But, it's it's not like even
0: so you're going to have people traveling from other big cities in Australia to go to Perth. If that's an event that happens, if it's a huge, event,
1: right. And that's the idea. And I'm sure Perth is not like, but if you were like, I want to run an event in Australia and we're only can pick one city where we can run a stadium event. And they have already run a stadium event that was wildly successful in Melbourne a few years ago. That was WWE superstar showdown.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you probably wouldn't run it in Perth, but because Perth is the Western Australian province or the city of Perth is willing to give WWE money to have this event, um, there they go. They're going to be in Perth. They're not going to be in Sydney. They're not going to be in Melbourne, just like they were in Cardiff and they were not in London. Um,
0: Okay. And I think that's that's all we have unless we want to uh, exercise Cody issues and CM Punk issues, which I'm okay not doing. I've been going over
1: I'm okay there. not talking about CM Punk for once. Okay.
0: we'll see what happens. Yes,
1: I'm sure. Next week we'll have a lot. To, we, we might have a lot more to talk about yes. uh, in the coming weeks than we do right now.
0: Yes, well, I'll, I'll do my plug then on Patreon.com/slash We have a, a new merchandise report that I put out on Friday. That uh, yeah, I, I'm seeking feedback on to see if this is something that um is a is a good report. In that you know when I'm scraping W Shop. Shop AEW and PWTs every day to look at what their top sellers are. Um, The top sellers of of the prior week, you know, the seven days before Friday, LWO, which I I saw there's some aggregators that picked up that LWO merch is appearing to do quite well, um, at least in the week leading up to this past Friday and FTR, the top sellers on AEW shop and PWTs this past week. There's also some quarter-hour reports that are up there for, for subscribers, as well as all the usual TV ratings and the huge spreadsheet and the Thursday 30, the WrestleLomics 30, and the slides as well. Anything you guys want to plug or bring up?
1: Just the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. That's my show. It's part of the Voices of Wrestling Network. You can get it anywhere that you get your podcast from. Again, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. My last episode was recorded last week, kind of recapping WrestleMania weekend and kind of talking about um, – the decision to have Roman Reigns beat Cody Rhodes and kind of the reaction to that and why I don't think it was that good of an idea. Is it the right decision
0: or the perfect decision?
1: You know, we're getting a little, you know, we're a few weeks removed now. So we're going to get a little bit more information and data to see like if beating Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania has a negative impact on WWE business. Um,
0: totally unrelated. Who did you want to see win that match?
1: Who did I want to see win the match? Yeah. Um, I'm not emotionally invested in WWE's product at all, so I don't really care. Like, I wasn't rooting for Cody to win the match. I think Cody was the right business decision to have win that match, but I wasn't rooting for Cody, um, you know, to win the match. I, when Roman won, I, would, I, I was more entertained by Roman winning. I was, was shocked that Roman won, in fact.
0: I, I if, if it were... Up to me, I, I would have put over Cody because I think he had he had earned it in, in the certainly in the business results that I saw leading up to the show in terms of merchandise in terms of right. And I'm orders.
1: in the same I'm in the same boat, but I also I wasn't like super shocked. Like I would have said, like I would have said, there's like a sixty forty chance Cody wins going into the ship. going into the. I was pretty run. sure. sure. Um, but then when he lost, um, like like for me, from like my pure entertainment perspective, it's much funnier that Cody lost. And we had like all these takes and triple H has to answer during the, uh, press conference. You know, the first question he gets asked is why didn't Cody win? And you know, the, the people trying to justify it and, uh, it's It's much funnier that way for me and in that way more entertaining than if just Cody wins, which is the smart right business decision. But as someone that again is not like emotionally invested at all in these characters or anything like that, the Roman winning in the kind of fallout from that, the conversation that comes from that is more entertaining to me and, and more interesting in a lot of ways than just Cody winning.
2: Okay, that's all that's all I.
0: I think that's it. That's all. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday for subscribers, and uh, we'll be reporting throughout the week, TV ratings and things of that nature. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.